And now for the major announcement. Da, 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 da. Oh, Marcus, for years, listeners have been urging with us, pleading with us, begging us to run Wellness and Couch events in their own hometown and not just in Melbourne. Well, get ready, folks, because in 2018, there's not one, not two, but three major events coming your way. The Wellness Base Camp is our brand new one-day event featuring your favourite Wellness Couch podcasters in your very own home state. In 2018, we are coming to Brisbane, Adelaide and Kiama, just south of Sydney, for one inspirational day of health and wellness. Oh, incredible lineups to MP. We've got the Up for Chatters, we've got Joe Witten, we've got Fuad, we've got Kale Brock, Audra Starkey, the incredible Marcus Pierce, Brett Hill, and so many more. Now, seats are strictly limited to these events. The Wellness Base Camp is not a big Wellness Summit 1,000 people job, so do not muck around. No, you've got to get in quick, MP. The early bird two-for-one tickets are now available. Best Christmas present ever. To book your tickets and for all the information, head to thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Cindy O'Mara, and Karen and Kim are not here today. But I I just want to tell you that as I travel, and I've done a lot of travel this year, I've been to the US seven times, Um, I fly all around Australia, I've been to New Zealand probably six times, England once this year, so I do a lot of travel and I meet some really interesting people. And I was heading out to Longreach um, through the year, I've been at Longreach I think three times this year, but I was heading out to Longreach and I had this lady come up to me on the very small plane out to Longreach and say to me, are you Cindy O'Meara? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I thought I recognized you. And and that was that. We chatted the whole way, basically, to Longreach. And we wished we'd had more time because we had so much time. So I decided to interview Joy McClymouth because she is um, one amazing remote woman. Um, And I say remote is because she lives in a very remote area of Australia. And for those international people listening to this conversation, um, a remote area means that, look, it could be quite a few kilometres to the front gate. Sometimes I've known it to be 40k to the front gate. Um, And that's before you hit the bitumen. And sometimes you don't hit the bitumen then. um, And it could be two hours to town or an hour to town. So... I wanted um, to talk to Joy um, on Up for a Chat because I felt that she has an amazing story. But before we get into Joy's story, I just want to uh, ask Joy to paint the picture of where you live, your family, and the, the station life that you live on. Welcome sure, you, and thanks. Great. <laughs> it's great to be here having a chat. I, I like a bit of a chat, so it's very easy to do. Um, basically, we live on a cattle and sheep station, 100 kilometres from our closest town, which is Longreach, and, and actually the start of our property is 40 kilometres from our house, so it is um, a fair way to our front gate, one way, and then... Uh, probably about 40 kilometres in the other direction to the other end of the property. 
Um, basically, our landscape is wide open spaces in Downs country and then some hilly, rocky outcrops in others. Um, I live on the property here. This is this is my husband's family property, and it's been in the family for nearly 100 years. And I live here with him and my four children and um, my parents. My sorry, my husband's parents, my in-laws. So it's a family-run sheep and cattle station, um, and life is is very uh, good. It's very challenging. It's also extremely variable. Um, obviously, we're at the mercy of the seasons. But there's something really amazing about living out here. And unbelievably enough, I've never felt really isolated. We're 100 k's from town. It takes us an hour and 20 to get into the shops and into town. But I don't feel like we're in the middle of nowhere, even though we actually are. Um, It is an isolated part of the country, but there is so much peacefulness and so much beauty. And we really do run our own show out here. There's... There's so much to gain from that and that we have a lot of freedom that a lot of people in towns and cities don't have. So I really value that and I appreciate it every day. Um, My children do School of the Air. So we do School of Distance Education through Longreach. So our back veranda of the house is actually the schoolroom. My children dial in on um, a lesson each day with their teacher via video conference and, and the telephone. So that puts a huge demand on our telecommunication system. It's really important to have all of that humming along well. And, um, yeah, we basically operate both sheep, both types of sheep, so merino for wool and meat sheep, dorpers, and so and have cattle. So um, every day is filled with something going on the property, whether it be waters or fences or checking stock or stock work or it could be office work, budgeting, whatever it might be. There's always something different, and I think that's what makes living on a property and and managing a property so challenging but um, satisfying as well. Does that paint the picture enough, Cindy? Oh, I think it does, but I think you need to say the ages of your children because, you know, they're doing school of the air. It means they're Mm. in the schoolroom and you're having to be around. Um, I know you have a a governess, but, it's Mm -hmm. you know, what are the ages and tell us about the role of the governess. Yeah, so the, my children are, the youngest is four and the eldest is nine. So there's a six-year-old and an eight-year-old in there, um, in the middle. And um, so next year they'll actually be all in the schoolroom full-time. So this year three of them have been in there and then the youngest one's done e-kindy, so he's only part-time in there. I actually am a bit cheeky. I am a trained teacher, but I employ a govy <laughs> for a number of reasons, but one is to keep... Uh, the relationship between my children and I really positive because it can go a bit pear-shaped in there at times and also to make sure that I get um, enough of an opportunity to fulfill the roles in our business as well. So basically life, it, you know, it can, it is very busy because um, the governess and, uh, well, is usually known as the home tutor, whoever's teaching them at home is called the home tutor, has to manage the on-air timetable, so dialing them in and out of on-air lessons and who's on what line. We need two phone lines to run the schoolroom. So basically um, kids are dialing in and out most of the day to get their on-air lessons done and they do a lesson with their teacher and they do a reading lesson and they do writing lessons and all these other sorts of things. And then off-air, the governess or the home tutor, whoever it might like, whether it's a mum or whatever, has to then complete 
the lessons from the other subject areas that aren't delivered online. So the teacher of the class might do English lesson on air, but then we have to do the maths lesson off air. So we might do maths and geography or maths and science, and then there's also spelling and handwriting. So the day in the schoolroom is quite intense because there's only a small number of kids in there, but you know, you're just going from one child to the next. And we're really only in there from eight till two. Um, our school day and every school school room will run differently, but by two o'clock, everybody's had enough of each other and they just need to get outside. So um, the governess has their own separate quarters here and we keep it really simple. We just have them doing the schoolwork and doing the schoolroom and they need some time out from the kids as much as we do. Basically make sure that they have a really good balance in their life as well to keep them happy living this far out of town with with just the family as the social network. So it can get pretty, um, you know, pressing at times. But if you just have to make sure that everybody gets some time out from whatever their demand is so that everyone stays nice and happy and, and relaxed. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's absolutely a, the best idea because I think that that's in anybody's life is that you mm. need that balance. And, you know, they always talk about balances of life, but... Um, I think when you love what you you love doing is when you get the most amount of balance. And um, I can I, I can't even imagine um, how your governess or what your governess would do when she's not with the children. Um, does she ride horses? Does she um, enjoy walking? What what does she do when she's not yeah. with the children? Yeah. Well. Uh Fortunately enough, she does love walking and she's got her little dog out here, so she does go for really long walks. Um, she's also studying, um, on, like she's doing an external agribusiness degree. So outside of school hours, she has got something that uh, that does occupy her time. She can come over here anytime and, and have a chat with us, but it's good to have that separation from each other too because it allows everyone to recharge and and keep it all nice and simple, and she's got her deal, I've got my deal, and, yeah, it makes it a really nice sort of environment if they've, if we've got separate things happening. Yeah. You know, I homeschooled my children. We travelled around Australia for a couple of years, and I homeschooled my children, and our hours, you know, they began around 9 a.m., um, and we would finish by 11.30, we, two and a half hours. We didn't do um, distance education or school of the air. We actually did... Um, gosh, a pace-based program that was out of America, even though it had Australian history and things like that. And, you know, when you travel and when you're in places that are different, you actually learn more about Australian history than you do in the schoolyard. So mm. what I found interesting, though, is that my kids knew that when they finished school, we would play. So I would find them up sometimes at 6 a.m. in the morning working through their paces, um, mm. and that was the name of, of their their books, so they'd be working mm. through their paces of their four subjects. They'd be done by 8 a.m., 8.30. We'd have breakfast mm. and go play for the day. So Yeah, yeah, perfect. It's a really yeah. good balance. Yeah. I, I, lo- I actually really enjoyed homeschooling. I found it less stressful than sending our children to a private school that they had to have their hair in a certain way, they had to have certain lunch boxes, and so I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot more casual than... Um, sending them to school. Now, mm. I know that you're not from that region. So would you describe your life before um, you got to um, out to the, the station where you have only cattle and sheep? 
So basically, I was um, I'm from the Darling Downs originally, and so that was that was like farming country. So when I came out here, I thought the whole area had been cleared of trees. I didn't know there was such a thing as open downs, natural open downs country. So that was a bit of a shock. Um, I'd been always in different locations, you know, for every two years after I finished school, pretty much. And so I'd travelled with teaching, and I'd. My first teaching post was actually close to you at the Sunshine Coast there. And even though I loved my time at the coast, don't get me wrong, I never really felt at home there. And I'm just not a coasty chick. Um, And it's so weird. You only know that when you leave and you just go, oh, it's like, you know, a square peg in a round hole there. And it's not until you go somewhere. And so after the coast, I went overseas and worked for a couple of years. And then I came back and I got posted to a distance education school in Charters Towers. And obviously, Charters Towers is not a really small town, but it's not a big town either, and it's country. And I just felt immediately at home there. I just felt like I'd found my roots pretty much. And then you feel so grounded. When you know you're in the right place, you can actually really sense that. And so from that point on, I just knew that I wasn't meant to be in an urban city working. I was meant to be somewhere rural and remote because that's really um, where I felt the most, you know, relaxed and true to myself and, yeah, it just totally suited me. So it's funny, you only know that when, you, when you've got something to compare it to. So from there, I just, I met my husband through some mutual friends in, in Charters Towers and met him at the Ecker of all places and then um, moved to Longreach and started teaching and my I was teaching at the high school and then I got a post to a, a teaching principal position which is like a one teacher school where you're the teacher and the principal and I had a maximum of 14 kids in the school and it was on a, a property, a sheep property not far from where I live now. Um, it's actually closed now unfortunately because you know kids and families leaving the district. But that was where um, I really became connected with this area particularly and started to change the way um, I do things a little bit with health and fitness particularly but also came became aware of what it was like to live you know semi-isolated and and you know there's isolation when you're hours and hours from town and then there's us which I think we still feel I feel like I'm in the burbs sometimes with just being an hour and 20 out of town but there's still that feeling of isolation and some of the challenges there. So, yeah, that was how and what life was like leading up to where where I am right now, Cindy. Now, I have a question because um, there was wheat and cotton uh, mm-hmm. in an area that you lived in, in Gundawindi. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you remember, and, and because, you know, I'm very much about sustainable agriculture and things like that, do you remember many chemicals being sprayed in your region? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they just... <laughs> Cotton is one of the most heavily sprayed crops and like I'm really out of that circle now but every school holidays um, we would have a couple of different jobs job options. One was cotton chipping where you'd chip out all the weeds from the cotton crop and you were touching and breathing and everything and the cotton crops had been sprayed 15 times beforehand and 15 times after. I'm sure there were some rules and regulations around you know the timing of that and I'm sure they've tightened up that so I can't be true about it but but you could smell it and you just knew and then you'd see the aerial spraying going on all the time and where we lived in Gundawindi there was cropping all around us and we were in between two cotton gins as well so you'd see the aerial sprayers go over all the time now I have no idea 
what they were spraying, it could have been natural, it could have been whatever, but there's a bucket load of chemical that goes into cotton. Um, and, yeah, and any, like, cropping just, it just blows me away, um, the amount of stuff that people put in the soil and on the plants trying to make it yield a little bit more or, yeah, it's just huge. So uh, that, and to me, that was, like, you know, a bit normal back then, but now, looking back on it, I just think, wow, that's just bucket loads of money and all just for an increase in yield, just a little bit more, um, which, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it was it's a pretty heavily ridden, ridden type of business. I'm sure there's lots of different options for people nowadays and um, I know that when my father was putting in wheat crops and sorghum crops, we actually didn't spray, but we weren't revolving our whole livelihood around cropping either. We always had other jobs. So, yeah, it's a bit of a hard one. Well, I, um, you know, I have a small farm um, in Reesfield, which is just in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. It's only 60 acres, and we're creating a holistic farming and type of permaculture um, environment, and we don't use chemicals or anything like that. And we have an open day. We've had three open days in the 18 months since we kind of started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a wheat farmer from Western Australia come, and I think they had 10,000 acres. And she said that they spent $700,000 on chemicals mm. and that there had to be another way, you know, the amount yeah. of money that they were spending on chemicals. So, mm. um, and, you know, she talked about the chemicals that they were using. And we don't, this is not the discussion today, but I just, I find it, you know, really interesting. So did you Yeah, have it is. It's really quite intriguing to see the amount of money being spent on chemicals and whether they could just forfeit that and would the bottom line really be that much different and you just have to question whether it's worth it. I know there's a lot of organisations going and we've done a lot of work with a couple of groups and training on how to be more sustainable with land management and it's really important. It's like the most vital role of of farmers and anyone that's in the grazing industry and we take it really seriously. Um, So I think there's a lot to learn from that. Yeah. Now, um, my, another question about being around those crops and the chemicals. Did you have any illnesses? A hell of a lot of asthma. And even now, cotton, um, we're feeding cotton seed to our stock as supplement. So, you know, as drought feeding. So cotton seed is really great for um, stock and sheep particularly when we're drought stricken. Um, and so we will often buy a lot of cotton seed if we're feeding over the dry. And I can't even shovel it without getting without getting asthma immediately. And my mother has suffered from asthma a great deal from just, I think, living between two cotton gins. Now, it could be that that cotton fibre just really aggravates things, but I still cannot get over the fact of how much, you know, aerial spraying goes on around us, and that's got to have an impact. So the quality of the air is just huge. So... Um, I had a lot of bronchitis, um, asthma, chest infections type of thing um, when I was a kid. And, yeah, and as soon as I moved away from Gundawindi, as soon as I, like out here I've had nothing, no asthma, nothing. Moved to the coast, nothing. So there's got to be, and as soon as I go home, I get the same, I get more asthma. So there's something there for sure. Yeah, interesting. Now, you're the owner and founder of a company or a, a business and it's an online business called Off the Track Training. Mm-hmm. And in your, first of all, let's talk about, 
your life and how it led up to you doing this amazing work with people who are in remote areas, um, and they may not be so remote, but you're helping people to do off-the-track training. So let's yeah, talk about yeah. your love and uh, how you got there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's it's a it's a story and a half, but you know you can only join the dots behind you. You can't join them in front. And I'm at, thankfully at the point now where I can look back and join the dots to see how I've got to the point where I am right now. And I have no idea what the dots in front of me are, but at least I know the decisions and the things that I've done and been through over the years have led me to this point. And it's a great feeling to know that even all of your mistakes and all of your failures were for a really good reason and what I'm doing today was because of some of those mistakes and some of those things I didn't do so well. So as a kid, I was always really sporty and always active, um, loved sport all the time, swimming, basketball, and when you're in a small town, you know, there's nothing much else to do, you, you play sport, that's what you do and it was a great way, great way to grow up, lots of different types of competition, lots of different levels of competition um, and... Yeah, just had a bucket load of fun. That love for sport and physical activity has always been with me. I've never not loved it, um, which is a really fortunate place to be. And I think that's something you have to really instill in your children is a love for being active. Um, and once you've got it, that belief in how important it is and that confidence that you get, it doesn't really ever die and you are more likely to maintain that for life. But... Through my 20s, moving to university and, um, you know, going through those stages in life where you're making lots of friends, partying too much, you pick up habits and you pick up bad ones. And basically, that college lifestyle is not very conducive to healthy living, as we all know. And, yeah, it was the first time I'd moved away from home. I'd, I'd been at home for, you know, all my life, up to year 12. And then I moved away to college and drank too much ate too much rubbish, didn't do as much exercise as I would have done when I was in school and your body shape changes and then all these issues start appearing about your body image, you know, your your skin, your mood, everything um, starts to get disrupted because of what you're doing and nobody can tell you otherwise at that point and nobody actually was telling me otherwise to be honest. Like my parents were just thinking I was the same person and um, nobody else is sending, was sending any messages to the college or anyone within it about, you know, maybe reducing the amount of alcohol, maybe not eating as much sugar. Um, it's not like it is today. Those messages, I didn't even see them on TV or I was completely oblivious to them back then. So it was really around the low-fat era as well. So, you know, everything was sugary and low in fat but completely rotting us from the inside out, no doubt. So I picked up some really bad habits around that and not only with healthy food and, you know, not only with food but with my mindset around my body. I became really conscious of what I looked like because I'd put on weight and became very frustrated, a little bit sad about it all, lost some confidence for sure and started to overanalyze what I was eating and started to just do a few silly things like eating a packet of grapes a day and, you know, going really light on on the food. Um, and it was contradictory to what I was actually achieving because I messed up my metabolism hugely. Um, so basically, I, yeah, picked up some bad habits then and that carried a little bit through to when I got my first teaching job at the Sunshine Coast and I started doing triathlons and 
I started doing them because, well, I had done them through uni, but I started doing Ironman triathlon training, which is, you know, the long-distance triathlon. And it was demanding, and it was something I really loved, and I loved the challenge of that distance, and I'd never done it before, and it was great. But I found myself doing it to become and to be seen this person that looked a certain way rather than what I used to do sport for when I was a kid, which was the the fire in your belly you get from doing something tough, that sense of achievement. And that, that still was there, but it was totally overshadowed by my focus on having the body, the beach body, the body that everybody thought was associated with a triathlete. And that really did um, take over most of my thinking around that Ironman triathlon day. So so that wasn't a, such a healthy approach to fitness. I'd lost that really innocent, beautiful time where you did sport for sport's sake. You did it because of the way it made you feel when you were moving and active in that headspace. I'd lost it a bit and it all became about the body and it all became about what it looked like and what you seemed to be and, you know, and it, yeah, it just really changed my perception a bit and that's, I can look back on it now and feel quite sad that I lost that freedom from that attitude with fitness when I was a kid and it became such a different focus through my 20s. Um, and then, you know, I went overseas and kept training and I was still partying hard overseas, but and managed to make it through to an Ironman triathlon in Hawaii. The World Championships came back, went over to Hawaii, finished that, and then I went to Charters Towers and started my new job. And then I really did have a, a, a turnaround there. Um, I, I felt really grounded in, in a small country town. I really enjoyed my job. I gave triathlons away for a bit, and I just did some simple stuff around fitness. I started to just choose exercises that I wanted to do rather than I had to do. I ate um, some good. I was living with a grazier and he was always bringing home meat. And, you know, ironically enough, for all of my triathlon days, I'd been eating low fat and very little meat. So basically I was loving this grass-fed beef we were eating and these just simple home-cooked meals. So it was back to that. And that really had a big impact on me and, and I started to realize the mistakes I'd made in the past. Um, and then it got... Um, even more interesting as I moved on to the next chapter to Longreach um, and that's when sort of my life turned a point with my husband and um, where I met my husband and basically um, moved out to the property, got married, moved to the property and had our first child um, which I'm just going to tell my children to pipe down a bit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Don't you love child, children? I can hear them outside running their cars up and down the veranda and go, ah! Anyway, nothing like a bit of interruption. That's when you work from home, that's what happens, especially when you have yeah. children. And you've just got to roll with the punches and not get too yeah. frazzled by it. But I put myself on mute then to make sure that I didn't sound too grouchy. Um, but, yeah, so basically when I was at teaching at the small school, and I was living out there by myself. I still wanted to be healthy and fit, but it just, I lost that connection of what it was like to exercise with other people and where other people, you know, met up for coffee after a walk or, and the, the fitness side of things wasn't as social. So we created a group there called Workout Women where we'd meet on a Friday. We'd do a fitness session and we'd always have a little foodie chat or something like that. And that really made that connection happen and, and it sort of encouraged you to keep going with, with your fitness routine. 
when I moved to the property here and had our first baby, that's when the tables turned again and it was so hard. It was, you know, the lowest priority on the list when you're on a property is looking after yourself. Well, it, it shouldn't be, but it actually ends up being like that. The fences, the waters, the stock, they get all the attention and then you uh, and your health needs come dead last and it's the job of the person individually to say, right, I'm going to turn this around and make myself a priority on that list rather than all about the property. And that was tough, you know, seven, eight years ago. I think now it's different. It's really improved. People are becoming more and more aware of the importance of looking after themselves and the benefit that has for their ability to manage such a large-scale property or a business. Um, and so when I first started um, off-the-track training, it was from going out for a run one day with a very sloppy post-baby core and six bras on, flies everywhere and thinking, I have actually got an innate love for health and fitness. Like I, I know it's a priority and this is tough for even the people like me. So imagine what it's like for people that have no idea what to do, have never done it before, are living in an isolated place and badly, badly need to start. And that's when off-the-track training sort of popped into my mind and I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create my own training group that takes into consideration our lifestyle because there was nothing that could even relate remotely to where, what it was like living in the bush without a gym, without proper gear, without um, good advice on, on how to move and how to do this exercise. Or There was nothing like that. And so off the track, I just basically created a group of friends and started emailing them um, workouts, ideas, discussion topics. We'd talk about lots of stuff, and that's that's honestly where the learning started. So I've probably been doing a research project on rural and remote fitness for about well, nearly 10 years now, I think, So from that first time because my eldest daughter is, is nearly 10. So basically it's developed so much since then because obviously technology, um, our connectivity and our accessibility to technology has improved and the virtual world is, is endless. And we still have lots of challenges, don't get me wrong, but the way that we can communicate with people um, nationally and globally is huge now. So the messages that I can give to people, the types of training, support, encouragement, advice, all those things that we can do together, regardless of where you live, is all possible now. It was a little bit harder back when I was emailing everybody individually, <laughs> trying to get them to talk and trying to get them to email each other and email me back. Um, it was pretty time-consuming. But now there's just so many more opportunities for us to connect people. So so basically, off-the-track training now has become this virtual fitness center for people living anywhere. The original slogan I had was going somewhere in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, we can still feel like we're in the middle of nowhere sitting at the Sunshine Coast. And to be honest, I was in Mooloolabar living and I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere because I just wasn't a gym junkie I, and it, I just didn't turn me on that way. So it's really about offering people an option to be healthy and fit in their own landscape regardless of, of where they live or what they have around them. And that's vitally important as well as the connection of people with all with a similar passion. It was always about... Let's make health and fitness the norm rather than the exception. And that's when I first started in, in, you know, talking to rural and remote people about health and fitness, it was the exception. It was like, oh, you just work harder, don't you? Oh, come on, you need to get on a fence line and sweat it out a little bit. 
And that's all well and good, but there's so much more benefit to having that conscious exercise habit, humming along and, and eating well and, and those sorts of things to managing a property. And people really believe that now. So it, it has actually become more of the norm. I hope that paints a good picture of off-the-track training for you, Cindy. I know it's a bit hard to explain sometimes. No, you've explained it absolutely beautiful. But, you know, um, I know that you are uh, circled with people that are really interested in this. But I know um, one of the reasons I go out to Longreach is a very good friend of mine works at one of the stations out there. It's one and a half million acres. She's the cook. She has um, usually 15 people that work. There's no family really there. There's a manager herself and then um, a bunch of young people come in and, and work. And when she first started, like she's been my friend for 25 years, when she first started, she went into that kitchen and all there was was Maggi this and package that mm. and fake gravy and there was nothing there um, that for her would enable her to have these kids working at their very best. She also found mm. that many of the young girls and some of the young guys were on antidepressants or were depressed or had anxiety. So she went into that station and she basically changed everything around. She stopped using all the packaged food. She did everything from scratch. She created a veggie garden. So I know that, you know, you have circled yourself with people, but, you know, the the norm out there that she has seen, and she's done that one and a half million acres as well as another four and a half million acres where, you know, the food bill was not uh, good enough for, for these kids to be healthy. And, mm. um, and it's... It's so good to see people like her and people like you out there teaching. Um, but I, I, I know there's a lot of suicide out there, and I understand there's droughts and I, there's depression and anxiety. And so we need you to do more work. I think, Joy. I'm sorry, but Joy, you're going <laughs> yeah. to have to just. Yes, it, and I'm really serious. It's, it's like you touched, um, and some people, but. Um, there's so many more that we, we need to touch. And so I think that it would be great for people to get on board with you so they can help in their community as well or their outer community. So um, anybody who's listening to this that lives in a remote area, and if you, even if you're not in a remote area but you love being out there, maybe, you know, touch base with Joy. So I'll make sure in the show notes that I have everything for you to contact Joy, but also um, I will give you, um, at the end, Joy, you can talk about how people can contact you as well. Mm, sure. And now I, I would say one other... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. I want you to tell everybody what um, we've spoken about before, and that is your running with purpose. When you and your husband might go check um, that the water is running and the dams mm. are, are full and things like that. I, I loved that idea. When, when I heard that, I went, I like that, running for purpose, you know? So tell everybody what you do. Yeah, no, it's really, you know, you think it's easy. You think it's easy to fit in a run, but it, it's not always that easy. You know, when you've got lots of other things to do and it's it's time consuming and you've got four children and things like that. So my husband luckily has got a really good solid fitness belief too. And to help him and, you know, we always love seeing different parts of the property and we've got to check a great deal of land here. We've got 27,000 hectares to check and lots of dams and bores. So we often do a bit of a tag team where 
Um, he'll drive to a water point or drive one direction and I'll run towards him and meet him somewhere and then I'll pick up where he left off on the water run and then he'll run home. And so we'll often do that bit of a tag team where we don't have to do an out and back, which we hate. We can get to see different types of country that we may not see when we're driving. So we can follow a cattle pad to a water. Um, we can go off-road a little bit. And it's just a really good way to, one, get out and about and see the rest of the property, but two, do something together that um, ticks the box with fitness as well. Like, we do it heaps of different ways. There's often been times when I've ridden my bike towards a grid, left it there, knowing that somebody's coming out of town can pick it up and I run home. And so there's lots of different ways that you can integrate it with your lifestyle when you know that, oh, we've got to get to that bore and check that. And I'll just, you know, tick off my fitness session while I'm there or on the way there or can I meet you here. just takes a little bit of a, a thinking to get around that. Well, I think it's so important um, that we we look at our nutrition as well as our mm. our fitness. And and you're right, we we think that it that it's just a matter of like you were saying, some of your people were saying it's just a matter of working harder at the fence. Mm. But I think taking that time out to to get that fitness is is really important. So what, yeah. what about nutrition? Do you talk to your um, group about nutrition? Yeah, I do, and I take a lead from people like you. So basically, I paraphrase everything. <laughs> I actually have another a girl that I work with too, Stacey Curcio from Cultivating Wellness. She's a, a wonderful follower of yours as well, a big fan, and um, and she's done. She's been to a couple of things where you've spoken, Cindy, and really got a lot out of it. But we work together. She delivers a lot of the food stuff because she's so much more qualified and has such an in-depth knowledge of. The human body and the and the human um, biome and and we go into a great deal of deep depth like that because basically we value the importance of understanding why you should eat well, not just eat this, follow this meal plan, you know that sort of thing. People really need to know why so that they can make better choices at their own supermarket and in their own pantry. Um, but honestly, it is all about uh, whatever we develop. There's always three focus areas: fitness nutrition and motivation and those three areas are what's needed to be really humming along with your health we believe so um and you can't outrun a bad diet everybody knows that saying but do they really believe how important food is i mean you know it is not only important to lose weight which is where everybody focuses on food they think oh you know i need to focus on food because i need to lose weight no you need to focus on food so that you are a healthier for life and that you make better choices naturally and it's a healthy habit and your brain is in a good place and your gut's working well and you live longer and have more energy and there's so many other reasons to eat well. So the quality of our food um, when we live out here is not always fresh but there's a lot of different things that you can do to make um, the best choice possible and you know like fermenting and I know you're a big fan of it. It's an old traditional way of of making food, of preparing food and keeping food for longer. But <clears throat> some of those old traditional food methods in the bush have been lost a little bit um, because of convenience foods. And, you know, we all just need to get back to the kitchen a little bit. And I think it's important. And like you, you said about your friend Ricky going to that stock kitchen, well, I can tell you there's some crazy stories about how much soft drink and processed food has made their way into rural and remote communities. I did a, a project or program last 
last year or the year before in a small town here in Western Queensland, a very small town, like smaller than Longreach, and um, their consumption of um, soft drink was higher per capita than any capital city. So basically, you know, it was going through like seven cartons of V and the population was 50. You know, like it's just huge the amount of soft drink and processed food consumption that was going through that corner store per capita um, and big eye-opener. So, yeah, it's a... It's, yeah. There's still lots more work to do, Cindy, and like you're saying to me, keep doing work. Well, we've all got to keep on fighting for these these people that may not have the willpower and the knowledge to make those changes happen. Mm, I, I know. And, you know, I am um, coming to Longreach now. We've been talking, and I will be coming to Longreach next year to do, um, so that's 2018, to do um, part of the rural tour of Queensland. So I will let you know and we will get as many people as we can and we'll, I'd love to you know, ha- have you there and I'd love the health food store to be there. I know there was a health food store in the Longreach area, but last time I was there, I think it had closed down. Am I right? Yeah, that's unfortunately right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we've got to... See, the thing that... One of the things that I do with my Functional Nutrition Academy um, and with teaching people about nutrition is... You become the resource, and I know that this is what you are. You become the resource um, of knowledge that knows where to get good quality meat. Well, we all, you know, Longreach is pretty good for that. <laughs> um, you know, or good quality fruits and vegetables. And, and what is um, online that I can go to in order to to get good food? Or what cookbook is the best cookbook? Or how can I? achieve this, how can I get that? And mm. um, I, I believe every um, community, no matter whether you're in the city or whether you're um, out in the country or in a remote area, we all need these so that um, people can learn. Because we're, we're so used to go to the grocery store, uh, and especially in the city it could be um, our local grocery store, and which is a franchise, or not a franchise, but a conglomerate, um, and a corporation that isn't really interested uh, in your health. It's only interested in its shareholders. So when we start to look at our local community and start supporting our local farmers and our local um, producers, then I think it, there's a big difference that starts to, to happen. I know for uh, Ricky, my, my friend, you know, for them to get good quality beef, they do a cure. They just and I'm sure that that's everybody. Is that everybody out there, Joy? Does everyone do yeah, a killer? Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much. I mean, we don't do many beef killers because just we can't settle here. But we do heaps of of lamb and mutton and that sort of thing. But the local butcher here is actually stocking local grass fed beef and lamb and goat. I think. Um, so yeah, um, it's it's happening that connection between local producers and direct to shop front so that's pretty good yeah yeah it is it's wonderful so tell me what else you discuss in uh, or how do you do this that that's what I really want to know is that um (laughs) do you all meet online how do you do it explain um a a day in the life of joy oh my goodness this is exciting so this is actually the exciting part because the big gap when you're living in rural and remote is that you can't meet up with anyone and go and do that workout and, and your internet's not fast enough to do video and you're alone and you don't have that training group or that contact with 
you coach, which ultimately I'm the coach. I've got a couple of other people that work with me too that are trainers. So basically we do live workouts. So at 5.45 in the morning, everyone dials in on like a teleconference number like you and I are talking on right now, Cindy, and I'll boss them through a workout. They'll get an email to remind them to turn up and to bring this to the workout, and then I'll say, hey, everybody, welcome to today's live workout. This is what we're going to do, and I will be doing the workout with them. So I'll say, okay, everybody stand up, take your feet about hip-width apart, and just bend down side to side doing some standing side bends, and we'll do a warm-up, and then we'll do the main set. And I'll choose exercises that they will learn and know from the online program I deliver. So basically I created this virtual fitness center called Joy's Fitness Hub. And even though it's say it's Joy's, it's actually Joy and Stacy, and it's not really mine. It's the joys of being healthy and well. So that's pretty much what it means. But the fitness um, hub is really, um, fitness can be, it's about mental fitness, physical fitness, spiritual, it's all those sorts of things. And in that site, it's a full-blown food, fitness and motivation program, plus they get access to bucket loads of teleconferences with guests like you and lots of other people around fitness, food and motivation, as well as me doing some talks on different types of fitness training and how to get the best from your running or whatever it might be, plus um, a bunch of experts that are in there giving people support because as we know, when you live rural and remote, you don't have a physio down the road, you don't have a podiatrist at the the next corner, you don't have um, you know an exercise physiologist to get advice from. So I've sort of um, got the help of all those types of people in the hub to answer people's questions on a general level. And then um, all of those people run their own private businesses so they can have a personal phone consult as well. So basically the Fitness Hub is about providing people with a program as well as a training group. So we do those live workouts as well as a, a way to inform them about why they should be eating like this, why that type of fitness works and keeping their motivation humming. So the most significant thing we do is when people want to give up on themselves, we don't let them. We remind them of their commitment. We remind them of the importance of health because people at the slightest setback or the slightest, oh, I'm not getting anywhere, or the slightest bit of busyness will always pull out on their health and fitness first. And that's the first thing to go. And I always say to everyone, the exact reason why you can't fit this in is the exact reason why you should. The exact reason why you're sick at the moment is the exact reason reason why you should stay. The exact reason why you're feeling injured at the moment is the exact reason why you should do this exercise. So, you know, it's all these things, these excuses why people drop out that they need to be called on for. And I think that's probably the one of the most vital parts of the hub is that it, it makes you just really find that inner belief in, okay, I actually do really want this and, um, and gets that fire in your belly again. Because as we know, Cindy, your motivation goes up and down all the time and people have to know that and be okay with that and just be willing to ride through the waves a little bit and not jump to conclusions about the fact that, oh, I failed again and they would give up on themselves. So, yeah, the Fitness Hub is provides all those programs, all that support, but also, most importantly, that training group and, and that motivation. I just love what you're doing. You know, one of the things I thought of as you were just speaking then was um, I always say this with regards to nutrition and it's if your best friend has asked you to do something with with them and you have promised that you will be there, 
it doesn't matter what's happening in your family. You know, the, the kids might be going crazy. Your husband might need you. You say, I'm sorry, but I promised my best friend mm. that I would do this. I have to go. And no matter what is happening, you go to your best friend to be with them, to help them because they've requested that. And I go, mm. we'll make you your best friend so that no mm. matter what is happening in your world, like I often hear people say, Cindy, I was doing so well on your program and I was, life was going well and then this happened and I went back to my mm. old ways. And I, I just say, well, would you have allowed your best friend to go back to her old ways? Would you have realized that the stress means that you don't have that resilience if you're not well? So mm. I think we need to treat ourselves as our best friends, that we committed, mm. um, you know, something to ourselves or to our best friend, and we have to stick to it. And when you say it like that, people go, yeah, you're right. I would stop everything for my best friend, especially mm. women. Women mm. especially will will jump hoots to save their friend. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yeah, before themselves. To, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they, they won't do it for themselves. So I, I would say make you your best friend and the other's acquaintances or second besties, um, but make you the best friend. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, is that you're making them accountable and you're making sure that they stick to their commitment. Um, I, look, I think it's wonderful. So yeah, best- and it's heaps of fun. That's the thing too, like... You know, everyone says hello to each other on the live workouts. You know, they can ask me questions at any time. A lot of the time when you sign up to things online, you never get to actually speak to that person or ask a question. And that's so valuable for people to stay connected and accountable that they, you know, can actually talk to the trainer or the person that that's helping them and ask them the question or be honest and say, I'm falling off the wagon here. What am I going to do? So... We all need to understand that that's okay. You just got to fess up, and you've got to move on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it's absolutely wonderful. Now, do you have any words of wisdom or anything else that you would like to say to our listeners um, before um, I ask you my final questions? Oh, the final question. I love it. Um, just, I suppose I'm, I'm so excited that people will listen to this and, and take on board some of these messages. Like I said, none of this learning actually is just plucked out of nowhere. You go through these things in life, these journeys, they point you in a direction and they're there to teach you. Um, I've learned so much from failing at things, so much more than I have from, from succeeding. And we all need to just really pay attention to Okay, what's, what's this trying to teach me? This is a tragedy, this is a, a terrible thing that's happened, or this is a real challenge for me. What, what am, what's it trying to teach me? And I think that's the most important and valuable thing that we can do when it comes to our health. What's this symptom? What's this sign? What's this feeling? What's this mood trying to tell me that I need? Um, but yeah, so that, that'd be it from me, Cindy. Wonderful. Alright, so what's your favourite song to work out to? <laughs> Ironically <laughs> enough, it's not really boppy, um, but I am loving, I love a bit of country music and um, I've got a playlist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't go there, it's not that bad. Um, but I love this song called Time to Run and it's by um, a band called Lord Huron and it is really good. Um, and it's from the movie um, Unbranded. So, which is about those guys that tamed the Mustangs in America and rode them from 
um, you know, America to Canada or something like that across the states and they had some beautiful music in there as I went through the Grand Canyon. So anyway, time time to run Lord Huron. Oh, I'm going to look that one up. Your favourite fiction book and, yeah, your favourite fiction book. Um, I loved The Persimmon Tree by Wilbur Smith. It was, oh, no, was that Bryce Courtney? I always get them mixed up. But The Persimmon Tree was great and um, The People of the Book by Geraldine Brooks. Oh, that is good. Historical fiction is my favourite. Uh, that's what I love. I love historical fiction. Mine, mm. Mine's Judy Nunn. I really like Judy Nunn. <laughs> okay, I'll have to and read some of that. So that. That's good. No, but The People of the Book is, yeah, awesome. People of the Book. All right, and your favourite non-fiction book? Uh, probably The Motivational Manifesto by Brennan Bouchard and the other one I'm reading which is very heavy which is called Beyond Training by Ben Greenfield. He's an American exercise, you know, hacker and he's written a book called Beyond Training, Mastering Endurance, Health and Life and it's very full on. I think I can only read a chapter, no, not sorry, a page a night. It's a lot of information and then Brendan Bouchard is a motivational leadership speaker from America and he's written a great, yeah, it sort of looks like a Bible, but it's called The Motivational Manifesto and it's got some great, great ways to stay motivated and think about life. So, yeah, that'd be my two non-fiction. Wow, well, you're not going to believe this, but I've just been given The Motivational Manifesto. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, section one on human nature, on freedom, on fear, on motivation... And then section two, the nine declarations. Will we read those? Mm. Do you don't mind me? I'll just go through them. You go. We shall meet life with full presence. We shall meet life with full presence and power. We shall reclaim our agenda. We shall defeat our demons. We shall advance with abandon. We shall practice joy. Oh, there we go, joy. You're in there. We shall practice joy and gratitude. We shall not break integrity. We shall amplify love. We shall inspire greatness and we shall slow time. Oh, my gosh, that's it. I'm, I'm going to read it now that you say it. Yeah, it was given to me as a gift, and I it's just been sitting on my bookshelf, and I just haven't had the motivation uh, to, yeah, <laughs> to do a pun. I haven't had the motivation to read it, so I'm, I've just pulled it out, and I will read it. And the last thing cool. is if you um, had one food that um, you had to live the rest of your life with or meal, what would it be? Oh, do you know what? I am just loving my breakfast hashes at the moment that have got fried up zucchini, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, capsicum and red onion with a bit of scrambled egg and bacon in there and sprinkled with some French lavender salt. That is my absolute bomb meal at the moment. So I could probably do that for quite a while. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Now, I want everybody to know how to contact you, especially if we have um, women in remote areas or men in remote areas that would absolutely love, um, you know, to get into contact with you. Um, is it your your business, is it through your Facebook or let everybody know how they can yeah, contact you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's a variety of ways. If you go to my website, offthetracktraining.com.au, you can have a look at our programs and send me a message through there, the Contact Us button, or you can get onto the Off the Track Training Facebook page and put a comment in there or message me privately through there. That's super cool. Otherwise, um, follow us on Instagram as well, Off the Track Training, and you can send me a message through there. All those messages don't go to anyone else. They go to me, guys. So 
just you can say, hi, Joy, I listen to you here, here, and this is where I live and I'd love your help. We've got a lot of different things that we put in place to help people regardless of where they live or their types of lifestyle. So I'm dead certain we'll have something to help you and I can give you all the advice and support I know to get you humming. That would be super cool. Is that all hunky-dory, Cindy? I think so. I think they all know where to find you. Plus, I'll put it in the show notes as well. I'll, I'll make sure that I have all the links in the show notes so that they can just link on it. Rip so up. I want to thank you, Joy, for um, taking your time. We, we actually started this interview yesterday. I have to tell everybody. <laughs> we, we started this interview yesterday, and we did it on, on my platform, which was Zoom, um, is what I use to do interviews. But Joy being in a remote area where, you know, the network kind of comes in and out, I was missing half of her words. So we decided to do it on Joy's platform, which was all via telephone. And, and Joy, I want to thank you so much for doing this because, you know, we got halfway through the interview and we realized that it just wasn't, we weren't hearing it. And I think your information is just so important and I wanted people to hear every word that you had to say. And I want to thank you for recording this through your um, platform as well. So um, much appreciative of, of you know, you, you being so flexible in, in what I set up versus what you needed. So it was wonderful. No, that's my pleasure. I'm just glad we got to chat. That's great. Yeah. Now, um, for those listening, uh, please give us a five-star rating. Um, it's if that's what you think we need, uh, and let everybody know about these wonderful interviews. We've been doing this podcast for well over four years now, and so when you really count that up, it's quite scary how many hours that you would hear. Um, but there are some amazing interviews, and, and Joy's is um, one of those amazing interviews from um, a woman that lives a very different lifestyle to probably many of the people that may be listening um, to this uh, podcast. So if you want to learn more about us, we're on thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat if you want to find out more information. And um, we will talk to you next week and we'll see you on the ride. Thanks for listening in. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.